Glad you guys are here. Um, this is our time where we spend and engage in the word to engage in the word. That's really what we're here to do. We're here to engage in the scriptures. Hey, Stanley, what's good? Um, I, you know, one of my profound passions is for, you know, for the everyday believer to say that they've read through the entire scripture. I want to journey with you through that. And so this is a journey that we're doing together to just read through the entire scripture. And what I hope is, is that during the time that we spend here, as I reflect, I hope I hope I'm also giving you a perspective on the scripture, because I think a lot of us, when we read the Bible, we read the Bible from the wrong posture and from the wrong perspective. And so I would hope that what we do here in our time here is, is that we also appropriate your perspective to allow you guys to read the scriptures from the proper posture, from the proper perspective. And so that's why we're here. That's what we're engaging in. That's why we've come together. We've come together to read the word of God, to be edified by the word of God. Um, there's elements of teaching to this. So some of you are wondering, like, is this a Bible study? There's elements of that. And I found myself sometimes leaning in that direction. And the primary reason for why I lean in that direction is simply because there are things that I'm meditating and reflecting on as I'm reading, but I have to provide a framework for it. I have to, you know, provide a background for it before I get into it. Before I read this today, and uh, we don't know, I mean, I don't know how much time, I mean, how many chapters we're going to get through, but I want to spend about 20 minutes today. Simply because I have some obligations this morning to 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 uh, to that I have to commit to, and so um, I won't be afforded the same amount of time that I'm usually afforded when we read scripture. But what I want to do is, is I want to open up first by saying this: Remember what we've been talking about. Um, we've been talking through how we posture ourselves when we read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, most believers today, most Christians today, they read it with the improper posture. That is to say that for many of us, we read um, we read these three books or these five books are the Pentateuch. We read these five books as if they're written directly to us. And yet they're not written directly to us. They're written to the to, to the to the ancient children of Israel. Um, and so if they're written to the children of Israel, then we can ask, what are the implications of that for us today? If you read it as if it's written directly to you, you miss out on it because then you read it and you start thinking that these laws are laws that are instituted for you, that these laws that we're reading in this Mosaic law, that they're laws that are instituted for you. And yet they're not. These laws were not written to you. Okay. And so we have to create a degree of separation for that, uh, for backing up, just backing up a little bit and just reading it as a text that is written to an ancient people. Okay. By an ancient man to an ancient people. And so when we begin to see that, then we can learn the heart of God. Then we can learn the will of God. Then we can learn the character of God. Then we can engage in the, this is so critical family, because for many of us, we, we see all these laws and we start thinking, okay, which one of these do I need to do in order to be saved? Or which one of these things do I need to do in order to be Christian? And yet that's not the purpose of this. The, 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 the reasoning behind this has uh, um, nothing to do with what you need to do to be saved or what you need to do to go to heaven. Okay. These aren't laws that if you break them, you go to hell. And if you obey them, you go to heaven. Is that, is, are you understanding what I'm saying? So I, I hope what you guys do is, is you back up for a moment and realize these are not laws written to you. Okay, this is so important because when you read this, I don't want you starting to go, look at what God is telling me to do. He's, he's, 
He's written. No, they're not written to you. Okay. They're not written directly to you. They were never written to you. Okay. Even when Paul writes in, um, in the new Testament to articulate, he goes through a dissertation where he's articulating, um, how they go about being freed from the law. Notice he wasn't talking to the Gentiles because the law was never written to the Gentiles. He was talking to the Hebrews. He was talking to the Jews. He was talking to the Israelites who were under the law. No one else was under the law. When he even says we are not under the law, but we're under grace, understand that that it was no one else but them that was under the law. They were the ones under the law. So even when we read these scriptures and these verses, we often read them out of context. This is so important, family. And it helps really bring light to how now you ought to posture yourselves when you read the Bible. Because when you read it in that way, when you read it with that posture, when you read it understanding that, hold on, this law that was written was not written to me. And even when Paul breaks down the parameters by which now they've been freed from the law, because he says to them that they're under grace, they're not under Christ. I mean, sorry, they're not under the law, but they're under grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He was talking to the Hebrews. He was talking to the Israelites. He wasn't even talking to us because the law never applied to the Gentiles. Okay. So this is important that we understand that. And I hope I give you the proper posture. So when you're reading this now, what you're reading is you're reading a law that was given to the children of Israel. Okay. It was given to the children of Israel and this law was meant to shape them out into becoming the people who God intended them to be, to be the nation of priests that God had called them to be. So I hope you guys, when you, when we're reading this, please read it with that posture. He's not talking to you. He's talking to them. And from there, what we want to do is we want to extrapolate. We want to dig out what God is revealing about himself. Okay. Um, one last thing I'll say, and then we're going to get into the reading and then I'm going to share just a quick thought with you guys before we go, um, before I have to go, since I have to leave a little bit earlier than usual, I'm just going to share a thought, whatever is given to me in this time. This is the read and rant. That's what we do. We just read for 20, 30 minutes, and then we reflect on what the scripture is saying today. Um, but there's one more thought I want to leave with you. When the scriptures talk about the chosen people of God, these chosen people, the Israelites, the Hebrew Israelites, the Hebrew Israelites were chosen, but the scriptures tell us very specifically what they were chosen for. We see that in Genesis, that they were chosen to bring righteousness and justice to the world. They were chosen to bring the righteousness of God to the world, to reconcile all men to the world. Then he iterates to them in, in Exodus that they were chosen to be a nation of priests. Okay. Meaning they were chosen to be the mediators between God and humanity. That was the whole purpose of the calling that God gave them. He gave them the covenant and then he gave them the law that would shape them out to fulfill their duty in, in the covenant itself, their end of the bargain in the covenant. That's why there's a difference between covenant and law. Covenant is a contract. The law is not. Okay. So there's two, two, two things. So you have to make those distinctions. And I've talked about this before, but I want to remind you that them being the chosen people were, they were not chosen to be of economic influence. They were not chosen to be of, to have economic power over people or to have political power or to have, um, sociocultural power and influence. That's not what they were called to be. 
They were called to be a nation of priests to usher in the kingdom of God, to be administrators of the kingdom of God. This is the law that we're going to be reading is how they bring the kingdom of God on earth, how they rule the way God intends them to rule. So when we read that, make sure you get that family, that to be the chosen people of God has nothing to do with with, with, with power and influence. It has everything to do with sacrifice. To be the chosen people of God has to do with sacrifice. Um, notice the image of the priest is one who owned no property. He owned no land. He, he, the, the chosen people of God were, were, were pilgrims in this world. They were separate from everyone else. And so when we, when we talk about this chosen people of God, people, well, we're the chosen people of God. And often what they're talking about is power and influence. That's not how God articulates it. To be the chosen people of God was specifically about being a people who live a life of continual and perpetual sacrifice. And who then fully lives out that? Who fulfills that law? Jesus Christ fulfills that law. So if you want to know how the chosen people of God ought to live, we just have to look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived what the chosen people of God should have lived but never could have lived. Okay, Jesus Christ did what they could not do. He became the person that they could not be because the law wasn't good enough to make them who they are. Um, legit, I'm going to say this real quick. Legit, how do you know you were chosen? You now we, we're not there in the scriptures, but the short answer to that is faith. Faith. You're chosen by faith now. You're not chosen by blood. You're just chosen by faith. If you have faith, you're chosen. Boom. Done. That was a short answer, but let's get into our uh, reading and then we're going to spend some time reflecting. Okay. Um, This is a law that was written to the chosen people of God, not to us, to ancient Israel, not to us today. Let us read. Deuteronomy 19, um, I want to pray for us. Father, speak to us, Lord. I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts. Lord, reveal to us your will. Reveal to us your desires towards us, Father. We pray, Lord, that we would submit to you in this moment, Father. Speak. Speak to us. Speak through us. Lord, breathe in us as you breathe in your word. That we would leave this morning edified encouraged and strengthened and I ask that in Jesus name Amen Deuteronomy 19 it says this when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses you shall separate three cities for yourselves or sorry for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut lumber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to no one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and kills and kill him. 
though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall separate three cities for yourself. Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers, and he gives you the land which he promised to give you to your fathers. And if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest any innocent blood shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him up Sorry, deliver him to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. You shall remove your neighbor's landmark, which men of old have set in your inheritance, which you inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, a, ma- a matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days, and the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you and those who remain shall hear and fear. And afterward, they shall not commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, Deuteronomy 20, who brought you from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He goes with you to fight for you against the enemies to save you. Then the officer shall speak to the people saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who hasn't planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go. Whoops. Hold on. Let me, uh, the live just cut off again on IG. So let me just fire this up again. That is weird. The devil's a liar. 
Um, let's do, uh, let's start with verse 12. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, you shall besiege it. And when the Lord, your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the woman, the little ones, the livestock and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself and you shall eat the enemy's plunders, which the Lord, your God gives you. Thus, you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. But the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. But if you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege. For the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against a city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Deuteronomy 21. If anyone is found slain, lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from slain men in, uh, to the surrounding cities. And it shall be the elders of the city nearest the slain man will take a heifer which, is, which has not worked, which has not pulled a yoke. The elders of the city will bring the heifer down to the valley with flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck near the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord by their word. Every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of the city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. Then they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your children of Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. So you shall put away the guilt of the innocent blood, from among you, uh, so, sorry, from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. When you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord delivers them into your land, you take them captive. You see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her and would take her for your wife. Then you shall bring her home to your house and you shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house and mourn her father and her mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife, and it shall be if you have no delight in her, then you shall set her free. Then you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally, because you have humbled her. Ooh, there's so much to talk about there. <laughs> if a man has two wives, one loved, the other unloved. 
and they have borne him children, both loved and the unloved. And the, the firstborn son is of her who is unloved. Then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow the firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference of the son of the unloved, the true firstborn, but shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Oh, there's so much there. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. (laughs) For man has committed a sin deserving of death and is put to death and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance for he who is hanged is a curse of God. He who is hanged is accursed of God. Deuteronomy 22. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found. You shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You should not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. Hmm. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. Nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with the young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of the vineyard be defiled. You shall not You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. You shall not make tassels on the four corners. Sorry, you shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing with which you cover yourself. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct, 
and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman. When I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Then the father and the mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city in the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife and he detests her. Now he charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. And yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take that man and punish him. And they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name on the virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife, and he cannot divorce her all his days. Stay with that for a second. But if the thing is true, and the evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. To play the harlot in her father's house, you shall put away the evil among you. If a man is found lying with a woman to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lays with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But if you shall do nothing to the, but you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. Wow. For if he found in her the for if he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. If a woman, sorry, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out. And the man who lay with her shall give the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he humbled her and he shall not be permitted to divorce her all her days. A man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. I'm going to stop right here. Um, I'm going to stop right here and just share a few thoughts with you. Um, kind of knew what, what we were getting into when we started to read this portion of the scriptures. Um, as you know, I, I felt it important to preface all of this. If you were here at the beginning of the reading, if you're here for the first time, this is the read and rant. We just spend 20, 30 minutes reading through scripture. And then we spend another 20 through 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on it. Or whatever time is afforded to me as we engage in the word. 
It's unfortunate because there's so much here that I would need to unpack, and I'm not here to do that. You know, that's not really why we're here. We're here to simply reflect on the scriptures. But there's some things I need to 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 emphasize here before I even share where the Lord is leading me today. Because for some of you, um, you may have read some of these scriptures, and you may not have read some of these scriptures. Many people have not read through the entire Bible, and that's why. We do this. We do this so that we can read through the entire Bible. We've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now we are reading through the book of Deuteronomy. We've read through Deuteronomy 19 through 22. That's what we've read so far, uh, today at least. Uh, And we're stopping here at 22. This is important for me to preface. It's important for me to, um, to emphasize this with you guys before I even share my thought. This was written to the children of Israel. I have to say this, and I have to iterate this over and over again. And the reason why I have to iterate this over and over again is because many people read this. And and there's some people right now who are reading this and going, how? And this is a question that some of you guys are asking right now, is how? How can the Bible condone some of these things? Or Do you see some of the things, some of these laws that the Bible is asking us to follow? The Bible is telling us to follow this stuff. The Bible is telling us we ought to do this, 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 and this. Wrong. The Bible is not telling you to do any of those things. Somebody understand that. This this book, these five books, and I cannot emphasize it. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I have to say it for the person who's reading this for the first time, or for, for the person who may have come in and hadn't heard me say it. So I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say it over and over again until everybody gets it. The Pentateuch was not written to you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they weren't written to you. They were written to ancient Israel. Now, Does it have implications for you? Yes, it does. But you have to first start off by these laws were not written to you. You're reading a story. Let me say that again. I'm going to iterate that one more time. What you're reading is you're reading a story about the children of God. You're reading the story about the chosen people of God. Okay. And because you're reading a story about the chosen people of God in it, we see laws that are being instituted for them. These laws were not written to you. So when people read it, often what people do is, is they insert themselves into this text as if the Bible's telling you to do this. No. Okay. The analogy, uh, I, I said this before, but you can read a story about people. And in the story, it says, you need to do this, 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 and this. That doesn't mean that you, the reader need to do it. It means that the person who wrote the law is telling the people in that story that they need to follow this law. This is how we ought to posture ourselves when we read the scripture. And anyone who tells you that it's not written, that it is written to you, and this is something that you ought to be doing, is deceiving you. It's deception. It's deception. You do not insert yourself into this text. This this book is not about you. The Bible is actually not about you. The Bible is about Christ. The scriptures is about Christ. Jesus himself even says that all scripture testifies of me. 
So therefore, the scriptures was meant to re reveal Christ, to reveal God's heart, to reveal his will, not to give you a bunch of rules to follow in order to be saved or to go to heaven. God doesn't even operate that way. Okay, he doesn't even operate that way. And until we back ourselves away from this text, we're not we're, we're missing out on the heart of God. We're missing out on the character of God. We're missing out on who God is. Who can I can I dig in a little bit here? I say that to you because if you read this, you're going to see a lot of stuff here. That's difficult to read. Let's just be honest. There's some stuff in here that's just straight up tough. It's straight up tough. It's straight up difficult. You read it, you go, wait a second. Hold on. Let's let's, let's read. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. There are cultures today that there are, there are churches today that will tell a woman that she can't wear pants because of this verse. And yet this verse wasn't written to you. It wasn't written to your pastor. It wasn't written to anybody in your church. This wasn't even written to Christians. <laughs> the Pentateuch wasn't written to Christians. <laughs> okay. It was written to ancient Israel. And now we be and, and so when we see it that way, we'll go, okay, now if I back away, I'm I'm actually reading a story. Um, there's some other things in here. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed. He's literally telling them that they aren't to create hybrid fruit or hybrid plants. Get this. If you are under the law, this law, then most of you are sinning right now because most of you have genetic are eating genetically modified food. Okay. If you eat watermelon without seed, that's genetically modified. Mixed seed, genetically modified foods was a sin. The loss, this is the law for, for the children of Israel. It was a sin. <laughs> okay. Um, you shall not plow an ox and a donkey together. That's weird. Hmm. Interesting. Verse 12, you shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing for which you cover yourself. Check your shirt right now, y'all. Everybody check real quick. Um, Let me know. Are there tassels on your shirt? Because if, if you don't got four tassels on the corner of your shirt, you are disobeying the word of God. Hmm. You shall not wear garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Notice it's a it's a garments of different sorts, sorts such as wool and linen. It didn't say just wool and linen, meaning if you have a shirt right now on or you have a dress on right now and and it says, you know, 60 percent cotton, you are sinning. <laughs> um, I, I, if you are if you are under the law, you're sinning. Um, a woman does not wear anything that pertains to a man. Um, um, so now I'm just giving you a few examples here. If we're under the law, then we're sinning here. Now, here's the question. Okay. Here's the question. Now, if these things don't apply, then do the 10 commandments apply? 
hold on. If these things don't apply, people, because some people say, well, those don't apply today, but the Ten Commandments do. How? Who, who decides that? Or those don't apply, but then they'll show you another verse, like, for example, the verse about tattoos. It says, um, do not mark your bodies for the dead. And so they go, well, the Bible says that we, we, we ought not to have tattoos. So they say, you have to follow that thing. But then the scripture right after it speaks about shaving the edges of your hair and getting a lineup. Which one do you do? Which one do you not do? Who gets to choose that? Family, who gets to choose that? Who gets to choose what you obey and disobey? Do you see the problem here? Do you see the issue? I hope y'all catching the issue here. The issue is, is that people will use these laws in the Pentateuch as a way to impose their power on you. They will use the laws and they will choose what they accept or don't accept to impose their power on you. Some of the most oppressive people groups are legalistic churches who oppress people with the scripture, taking the law and taking what's expedient to them and what's good for them and using it to prostrate on you in order to show power over you, to express power over you. It is a matter of manipulation, deception, power, oppression, and so they choose. If anybody picks and chooses from the scripture what you ought to follow, then they are not under Christ. They're under another demonic power. Let me say that one more time. If anybody chooses some portions of scripture to control you, then they are not under the authority of Christ, but they are under a demonic force. There are some of us who have grown up in churches not realizing that some of the leaders that we served under were actually agents of the enemy and not ministers of the gospel. There are many of us who have read these laws and people have put these laws on you, but then they point to a verse, but they ignore another verse. We call that manipulation. We call that manipulation. We call that power over. We call that overpowering. We call that demonic oppression. I'm just going to say it like it is. If it makes somebody feel uncomfortable, oh well. And if there's anybody here who's hearing this, because there's somebody here who's actually hearing this and going, man, um, this guy, he's off. He's off because the Bible is very specific. It's telling us here what we ought to do, what not to do. Well, I'm telling you what you ought to do. So tell me, where are your four tassels? Are you wearing 100% cotton? Are you wearing 100% wool? Are you wearing 100% linen? Or are you choosing to control? You know, it's funny when people have their own form of righteousness. It's always a funny thing to me. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm already ranting and I'm not even getting to my point. Let me rant for a moment. Um, it's always funny. I remember, uh, I remember I was at, I forgot where it was. I was at a McDonald's. I think it was at McDonald's. And um, it's in the hood. So I'm at a McDonald's in the hood. 
you know how it is when you're at the McDonald's in the hood, you know. Uh, and you know, you know who the who the local apostle is. You know who the local bishop is because you know they're dressed in um, they're dressed in you know you know some bright colored cloth and they've got you know like forty five buttons on their suit you know and that's just the style and it's cool if that's your style that's your style but you can always know who they are and they do it for for a reason they want you to know that they're the bishop in town they're the apostle in town and this bishop pulls up now this bishop. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I just want to make sure you guys know I'm not judging here. I just want to give you a perspective here. The bishop had to be maybe 200 pounds overweight. Okay. He had to be about 200 pounds overweight. And, and, and he goes in and I'm overweight. So, you know, I'm not here to judge people who are overweight. I want you to get the point of what I'm trying to say here. He, he 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 orders I'm just paying attention to him because I'm always paying attention to the bishops. He orders two Big Mac combos. He walks up, we're in line, he orders two Big Mac combos and supersized drink. And he's by himself. And after he orders it, he pulls himself to the side and he's waiting for his food. And he looks outside and there's a guy walking in who just finished smoking. He's smoking. He walks in. I guess the guy, um, the guy recognizes him or he recognizes the guy and he goes, oh, Bishop, how are you? And the first thing the bishop says to him, he says, do you not know that smoking is a sin? Do you not know? That, that the very smoke that you're inhaling. So he's giving him a speech and he's rebuking him for smoking. Because he's telling him that he's ingesting things and putting them into his body to destroy his body. And I'm looking at this, this guy and I'm going, how are you rebuking the man who just had a smoke outside who's walking inside and you're rebuking him for the very thing that you're doing to yourself. (laughs) What's the difference between standing outside and smoking a cigarette or sitting inside and eating two supersized Big Mac combos? That's the thing about legalism, family. It gives you the power to be a hypocrite. The hypocrisy of it. The hypocrisy of it. So we rebuke the person who's smoking. But we don't rebuke the person who's overeating. Because we get to choose what's holy and what's not. Oh, can we go a little bit deeper? We'll rebuke some sin. Ah, but well, we'll be more gracious for other sin. We'll treat one person one way. Oh, but this person, uh, legalistic communities are always putting sin on a curve, always putting sin on a curve. Some sin is more acceptable than others. Some are less acceptable than others. So we get mad or we treat someone who says that they have same sex attraction one way. But for the other that's fornicating, we treat them another way. 
because we've put sin on a curve. We now are choosing which ones to rebuke and which ones to tolerate. (laughs) And that's the problem. You see, I say that to say this because we're not even there yet. We haven't even gotten to sin yet. Do you understand that? We haven't even gotten to sin yet, family. We're simply talking about the story of the children of God. When you read Deuteronomy and you read these laws, these laws were not written to you. None of it was written to you. I know this is going to be real hard for some people. None of it was written to you, but all of it was written for you. So now if you look at the text and it says, you shall not plow an ox and a donkey together. Okay. I ain't got a problem with that. You shall not wear mixed fabric cloth. Whoa, that's tough. Well, eh, God will be okay with that. Um, so we have a buffet of what we choose in the Pentateuch and what we reject in the Pentateuch. When I'm going to say something, you either accept all of it for the same reason or reject all of it for the same reason. You don't get to accept some and reject some. There's no one in the Bible that says you reject some and keep some. You, you, you got to understand that none of this was written to you back up for a second. This is God instituting a law to ancient Israel to be a nation that is holy, a nation of priests who would be set aside to be the mediators between God and the rest of humanity to usher in the government of God on earth, how God intended the earth to be governed because that's what we lost with Adam. Adam decided to govern the earth on his own terms. Now God is reinstituting his government on the earth and he's doing it through these people. And so the law was written to them to set them apart, to set them aside, to make them the nation of priests who would usher in the very kingdom of God on earth. God was about establishing his kingdom, his rule, his law, his order. Great. Great. That's right. That's right, Gene. It's good to see you, brother. Is everybody with me so far? Because there's some things in the scripture when people see it, they go, look what God is allowing to happen. See, this is why I can't follow the Bible. There's some people who say that they'll say, I can't follow the Bible. The Bible condones some stuff that is just unacceptable. How could you allow these things? Because the Bible, who said the Bible condoned it? Just because it's written in the Bible doesn't mean the Bible condones it. (sighs) Remember the analogy that I use. If I read a history book about Thomas Jefferson and the community of slaves that he had, the, the hundreds of slaves that he had, if I read that, and does it mean that the author who wrote it condones slavery? If I read a story, all right, here, let me back it up. I watch Law and Order SVU. I love Law and Order SVU. It's fire. I love SVU. I love the show. My wife thinks I'm crazy because I like the show. I just like the show. I like crime shows. I just like crime shows. Maybe it's something about 
the justice of God being established that I love. But anyway, um, if I watch Law and Order SVU, there's some really, really, really dark things that happen on this show, right? Some really, really dark things that happen on this show. If I watch it, do I automatically assume that the screenwriter who wrote the show supports the things that happen in the show? Hello? It is the psychology. Did you catch that? If I watch Law and Order and 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 there's a vile, vicious crime that is committed, somebody had to write out that crime. Somebody had to write out that story. If that story is written out, does it mean that the person who wrote that actually supports that crime? Are we pausing here? Because what people do is they go, look, look, I see slavery in the Bible. See, the Bible supports slavery. No, you saw slavery in the Bible. <laughs> okay. What you miss is because you saw it as a book of rules and a law, you did not see it as a story. You lost and missed out on what God is actually revealing about himself. I know this is making a lot of people uncomfortable because for a long time, you've been reading the Old Testament like it's a bunch of rules that Christians ought to follow. And yet the Old Testament was not written to Christians. Let me say that one more time and then I'm going to keep moving. The Old Testament was not written to Christians. The Old Testament was written to the ancient children of Israel. And it's for now us to see what transpired in that story, to know what the heart of God is that reveals now the profundity and the power of what Jesus Christ actually accomplished. Because Jesus says in the scripture, that all scripture comes to testify of me. I had someone who, um, and I know I have a few more minutes, so stay with me here. I have someone who came to me and said to me, I can't read the Bible and I can't believe anything that the Bible says because how is it okay that the Bible supports rape I remember hearing that and I remember going oh wow you saw it in the Bible and because you saw it in the Bible you assume because it was in the Bible that the Bible supported it because you've been reading the Bible thinking that the Bible was a bunch of rules that Christians are supposed to follow you know, up to this point, none of these are rules that Christians follow. They weren't even written to you. Remember what I said right before we read it. When Paul even articulated, the, when Paul goes through his whole dissertation about not being under the law, but under grace, you know, he wasn't even talking to the Gentiles because the Gentiles were never under the law. Let me say that one more time. The Gentiles were never under the law. He had to tell them who were under the law that they're under grace now. He didn't even have to go to the Gentiles to tell him because the Gentiles were never under the law. The Gentiles are now under grace. <laughs> they were never under the law. 
He had to break the Hebrews from that. And it's funny how we insert ourselves because we, even when it's preached, you are not under law, you are under grace. We preach it as if it is written to us as if we were under the law or at any point under the law. You were never under the law. From the moment you were born, you weren't under the law. It was only ancient Israel that was. But of course, we find out we find a way to force ourselves into the text. <laughs> All right, I hope this is helpful because now this young lady, and that's what I'm being reminded of today, is this young lady says to me, I was a victim of rape. And when I read that part of the Bible, I just shut it and I closed it and I said, there's no way I can ever, ever support a God who would support something like this. You're asking me, where is that? Well, we just read it. It says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 28, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, that, you know, the Bible's kind of being real loose with it, but it's when he seizes her, he's not saying, hey, come to my hotel. Like, no, he's, seizing her and lies with her he's forcing himself on her this is this is rape then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days did you see here's the thing a lot of pastors just like to ignore stuff because they can't reconcile the full theology of it because again they treat the bible like it's a bunch of rules or they never really help you understand this concept that you're not under law but under grace and so they miss out on so much that verses like this they never preach it they don't because it's hard to get an answer for it but if we read it it says exactly that it literally says in translation, if a man rapes a woman, he needs to go to her father, pay his dowry and get married to her. Meaning the woman who was assaulted by this man must be married to this man. And today, Many of us would cry foul. Many of us would say, how could this happen? How? How, how, could, how could God allow this to happen? What kind of God would permit this? What kind of God would allow that a man who does this to a woman to just be free and how is it okay for this man to not only not go to jail not go to prison but for this man stay with me family but for this man to be given the access to marry this woman to force this woman to be married to this man this is messed up I'm going to take my time here. 
And there's some of us who, if we really read it for what it is, it's a hard thing to grip. And this is why it's hard to grip. It's hard to grip because we are still imposing our culture on the text. Even when we say that we're imposing our current cultural way of thinking onto the text and we're missing what the text is actually saying. We know what it says, but we're missing the implications of what it's saying. Does anybody catch that? This is I'm giving you a lesson here. I hope this is helping you. I'm giving you a lesson in why we cannot insert ourselves into this text. I'm showing you why you miss out on what's actually being said because you're inserting yourself into the text. I'm trying to help you see how when you make the Bible and make this a bunch of rules that you ought to follow today, how you missed what this text is actually saying. You see, you we read that we go wait a minute how can it happen that we let this man go free but didn't it just say in verse 25 let's go a few verses earlier it says in verse 25 but if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her then only the man who lay with her shall die hold on a second Wait a second. Pause. You're saying that if the woman was betrothed and she's raped, that man is condemned to death. But if the woman is a virgin and she's raped, then that man gets to live. Why? Huh. Why is it that the man who actually commits the sexual assault on her when she is betrothed is condemned to death. First of all, I want to make sure you understand this. This law must be seen on the backdrop of, of the ancient people, not in modern time, but on the backdrop of the ancient people. Let me tell you why that's important, because you'll begin to see how profoundly different Hebrew law was than all the other laws, laws that were there to protect women. If women, if a woman were to be sexually assaulted, the man will be put to death. That only existed here. Everywhere else in the world that was permitted. It was just a given. This is something that just happens. Men force themselves on women. This is just what men do. That was a normality. And it's only in this law that God is beginning to reveal his character in his heart that God actually deeply cares about women. That even though they're physically weaker, God deeply cares about women. He cares about their protection. He cares about them so much so that if any man were to assault this woman, that man should be put to death. This is a revelation. He says to her, but you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin. This is for a young woman today who has been sexually assaulted, who feels less than who feels like that, 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 they, that they're filthy now because of something someone forced themselves to do on you. 
And yet he says to them that that woman has no sin deserving of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. And it speaks to how God sees what sexual assault looks like. He compares sexual assault to death. It's as if you killed the person when you've assaulted them. Therefore, that man who commits that crime on that woman deserves death. God loves women and God knows he's created them uniquely. And even though he's created them physically weaker, God still loves them. In his law, we're beginning to see the very heart and the character of God, that God, he loves women equally than men. He loves them equally to men. This law is fundamentally different because no, in, in that time, there were no laws protecting women. The law was meant to protect them. But then we go back to this verse. Then why is it okay for the man who has the virgin who is not betrothed and he lays with her because she's not betrothed? You see, in those days, women didn't work. And because women didn't work in those days, I'm going to show you something. I want to, I want you to see this because when you read the law and you pull away from it, you begin to see the heart of God. You need to know the context because in those days, if a, a woman's, a woman's uh, survival was dependent on a man, if a woman was betrothed, her care was guaranteed for. If she was betrothed, the man would be responsible to take care of her no matter what. He was responsible to feed her, to give her a place to stay, to make sure she's taken care of. That was his responsibility. We see the betrothal laws earlier on that, that this was his responsibility and any man who did not fulfill his responsibility was dealt with. So if a woman were betrothed, her future wasn't in question anymore because there's a man who already put his name on her. No matter what happens to her, his name is already on her. He's already made the promise and the commitment to be to betroth her and to take care of her and to support her and to love her. So there ain't nothing to worry about for her. If she is raped, kill that man. Because what that man did was a vicious crime against her. Ah, but if she's not betrothed, who's going to take care of her when she's an adult? If she's a virgin and she's not betrothed and someone lies with her, who's going to want to marry her? You see, once she's betrothed, once she's been raped, she's got no one, no future nothing to take care of her. This is how it was in ancient time. So then why then would the law say that she shall be his wife? Because from now on, that man must feed her, must take care of her, 
must do everything to ensure her thriving, her survival, her safety, all of that. So he's saying he must marry her. Not because he loves her, but now this is your judgment. This is your punishment. Your punishment is that woman that you should have never raped. You don't get to throw her to the side because now the rest of society won't, won't keep her. Understand this, that this woman, if a man does not betroth her, she's going to live a life as a widow or as a prostitute. She's going to live a life as a widow or as a prostitute. And she, and so it's not going to be a life for her. It's not a good life for her. She's going to be hungry. She's going to be starving. She's not going to have a family. She's not going to have anything. She's going to be considered worthless. And what God is saying, no, you're going to put worth on her. You who committed that crime, you now are obligated to betroth her. See, it's easy to simply go, oh, God is letting these men just live however they want, not realizing that when he says she shall be his wife, that was his punishment. And that's why he couldn't die. Because if he dies, who is going to take care of her? So no, you can't condemn him to death. He needs to take care of her. Now, Someone may be saying this and saying, I don't like it, pastor, because no woman should find their worth in a man. Again, you're missing the point. This is not a law written for us today, but rather the law was intended to reveal the heart and the character of God because of the culture in that day. On the backdrop of that culture, God institutes this law to protect the woman who now society wants to throw away. It does not mean that this is the law that we permit today because society won't throw a woman who has been sexually assaulted away. So no, this law doesn't apply to us now and it never applied to us. It only applied to the children of Israel. I hope this is helping you because there's somebody here who needs to understand this, that what this text is actually showing and what I hope is being revealed in this law and what I hope is being revealed in the reading as you read it is that God is setting a people aside to reveal his very heart that God cares about the least of these, that God cares about the weak, that God cares about the disenfranchised, that God cares when the rest of society, when the rest of culture, Culture, when the rest of the world does not care, God's justice is one that provides equality for all. That even though I'm weaker, I'm still equal to you. Even though I'm physically weaker, I'm still equal to you. And there's someone right now who's saying, I don't know because I feel like society wants to push me to the side. God's justice wants to bring those who are disenfranchised, those who are the least of these, those who have been assaulted, those who have been hurt, those who have been broken. And he wants to elevate them to him. He wants to bring everybody to him. He wants to unify all people to cry. He said, what does scripture say? He says he wants to make us all one in him. He's in the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling all men to himself. And we're beginning to see a foreshadow of this is that this man from here on out is going to take care of that woman. 
Did you know that betrothal didn't mean that they even lived together? You know that this man, once he's betrothed to this woman, he's just legally obligated to her. You know that he likely didn't live with her, even though he was betrothed to her. He's literally paying reparations. He'll go, but then how does she live with a guy like that? How she, she probably don't. She probably didn't. But she was taken care of. And there's somebody right now who's been wondering, has God seen you in the midst of your pain? God is showing here, he sees you. He sees you. He sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in your pain. He sees you and he's got your back. He's got your back. He knows what you've gone through and he's got your back. Yeah, he sees it. He knows exactly what it is. He knows what you've been through. He knows about the assault. Notice he didn't stop the assault here. Oh, but he gave him back up for the assault. His grace is sufficient. He sees you in it. And it's, just, it's not just young women, but it's young men. There's some young men in here who face sexual assault. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you in the midst of all of it. And you're wondering, God, where are you? And yet God is showing, I've see, I see you and I'm giving you provision. God is revealing that he's setting provision aside for those who have been abused, who have been broken, who have been assaulted. He's setting provision aside. We need to read this law within the backdrop of not rules we ought to follow, but you're going to begin to see the things that I see when you back away from the text and you go, this is not a law for me to follow, but a story of what God is doing through the children of Israel. And when you read it from that backdrop, you begin to see the heart of God. You begin to see the heart of God. You're going, to be see, you're going to see how God wants to protect even those who've been accused. How God wants to protect even those. And, and so you begin to see who God is and, and, and why he is the way that he is. And then now you can superimpose the heart of God today. He sees you. And I pray this would be a blessing to you for some of you to begin to see. We're going to continue to read to, uh, tomorrow. I'm going to read starting at 23 and you're going to read some more laws. Remember, all these laws were not written to you. But oh, you're going to realize these laws are written for you <laughs> because they were written for you to see how much God loves his people. I love you guys. I'm so glad that was a blessing to you, Brennan. So glad um, that was a blessing because he sees you. He sees you, Una. He sees you, Winnie. He sees you. He sees you, Nina. He sees you. He sees you. Hmm. He sees you, Rick. He sees you. 
Yeah, he sees you, Rick. Sleeping Beauty, he sees you. Mm -hmm. He's giving you provision for your pain. Hmm. He's giving you provision for your pain. He's got your back. He says, I'll never leave you. No, will I forsake you. He sees you. Yeah, he sees you from the beginning. He's seen you. He said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. God knows you. He sees you. I know you've been asking, God, where were you in the midst of it? And God's like, I planned something for you to get out of it. He sees you. You've been asking God, where were you? How come, how would you let this happen to me? And God's saying, whatever you've suffered, the glory that's coming is greater. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. Ophori, he sees you. He sees you. He's, he, he's, he's, he's planned this from the beginning. God's going to get glory through this. He sees you. Mm. He sees you. You don't need to be discouraged. He sees you. He knew what was going to happen and he saw you. He saw you. Be encouraged. Father, we thank you. Lord, that you see us, Lord, even in the midst of our pain. In our time of great weakness. In the time, Lord God, of, of, of deepest darkness, Father. Lord, you planned a way out for us. Lord, you gave us provision for healing. You gave us provision for breakthrough. You gave us provision, Lord God, even in the midst of all that is ugly and evil in this world. Lord, you have overcome the world by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Ah, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those who are here right now. There are those who are Lord, who are participating right now, Lord, even in this moment, overwhelmed by the emotion of the moment, because there's some people right now who've been asking, Lord, where were you? And let Lord, in this moment, you are embracing them to let them know, Lord, that you are with them. That you have given them provision to overcome all that is evil in the world. You're giving them what they need to sustain moving forward. Father, we thank you for healing, healing over the evil of this world. And Lord, we know that you have overcome this world by the sacrifice of your blood. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing even in this moment, Father. And I pray, Lord, that this would edify, transform, that it would be a healing bomb for those who are here. Lord God, I pray for visitation throughout this day, for an embrace throughout this day, Lord. I'm believing that the Lord is going to embrace some of you today, that the Lord is, he, he's, he's, he's going to embrace you today. You're going to feel the embrace of the Lord. And you're going to learn to rest in him again. You're going to learn to trust him again. You're going to learn to rely on him again because now it's just you and Jesus. Yes, Nina, he's doing it for you now. He's doing it for you, Brina, and he's doing it for you. He's doing it for you. He's healing you. You may not have all the answers, but he's giving you provision. He's giving you provision. He's here. Father, bless us. 
Lord, bless each and every person, these people who I love very much, Lord God, who, Lord, needed this word today. I just pray that it would bring healing. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.